0: Amen, Lord. You are stronger than Satan. You are stronger than hell. You are stronger than death. You are stronger than sin. You're stronger than cancer. You're stronger than the recession. You're stronger than all the global forces in the universe. And we praise you that you are our Father and our friend through Jesus Christ. We commend Bethlehem to you for another 140 years as we thank you for your faithfulness and all the people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank Kenny for stepping in this morning at such late notice and doing such a good job. I heard great things about the message and regret that I couldn't be a part of that worship service. I have been more sick in the last four days than I've been in years. (laughs) It was perfectly miserable. So I'm so thankful that Kenny was willing to do that for me. And we can all understand, I think, that someone might say, It's hard to be excited when you're sick, but for me this past week, it's been just the opposite. It's hard to be sick when you're excited, (laughs) and I've been increasing in my excitement about this event for a long time, and I want to give you some reasons why. When I felt this coming on Wednesday, that little video clip I made was the last thing I did. I went home from that, went to bed for 72 hours and to get out of bed. And I just said, Lord, please don't knock me out of this. I really want to be here for this. So I'm thanking him right now that uh, Kenny stood in and I could just lay low on my preparation day and this morning and be with you now. There are reasons to be excited, 140 years worth of reasons and future reasons and present reasons. We are in a moment that I described a few months ago called uh, the Antioch moment at Bethlehem. And I described some extraordinary pressures and unique challenges of the Antioch moment that we're in as a church. But as I've thought about it over these weeks, and especially in the last days, it appears to me that the Antioch moment and the moment we're in as a church is far more significantly typical than it is extraordinary. It's more important that we see how common This is to our history as a church and to your history as a human being. We've been here before. We know what it's like to be in Antioch moments. What makes this season, this Antioch moment, this season typical is this biblical principle. No matter how stuck you feel, no matter how imprisoned you feel, no matter how blocked you feel or bound you feel, God is never stuck. God is never bound. God is never in prison. He is always Acting for you in a thousand ways you can't see while you are feeling yourself so bound and so stuck and here's the Bible verse to express that this is 2nd Timothy 2 8 through 10 Paul says I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal but the Word of God is not bound Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, this is amazing. Paul is in prison, and he says, I'm bound, but the word of God is not bound. Paul is stuck. He must feel very frustrated, unable to move in the way he'd like to move And he says, God is not frustrated, and God is not unable to move. He's in prison. God is not in prison. And that's been the story of this church a hundred times. And it's been the story of your life a hundred times. You feel stuck. You feel bound. You feel it personally. You feel it relationally. We're stuck. You feel it in the church. We're stuck. And that's never the whole story. And that's the point of tonight, I think. You pound on the obstacle. You dig, you cut, you bore, you climb to try to make some progress beyond the bondage that you feel of the church moment or the marriage moment or the personal soul moment. You pound in order to make some progress, and that's never the whole story. God is never bound. He is never stuck. As many times as we as a church for the 31 years I've been around here, as many times as we have felt stuck and bound and imprisoned, and unsure of our way, hundreds of them, the Word of God has never been bound. God has never been bound. He's never been perplexed. He's never been stuck. He's never been imprisoned in any way. And if you watch him carefully enough over the history of your life in these moments, which is what history is for, that's what history is for, you get to see enough of these things in church. You get to see enough in your marriage. You get to see enough in your own life. You, you start to recognize the way God acts in these times, and you realize he's always acting. You may sit in a committee meeting and bang your head against the table, coming away with no resolution again, and think nothing has happened. Nothing never happens. That's a quote from Tom Steller. It's one of my favorites. When you pray, nothing never happens. Doors open and God works. If you watch him carefully, you learn to recognize how. So we're in an Antioch moment. It feels to many of you like a waiting moment, like a perplexing moment, and God isn't the least perplexed, and he is not waiting. For example. Against all odds, a new major vision paper on adult discipleship has just been completed. The final touches put on it last week. The elders have seen it once. They will see it again for its final touches, and then it will be put in place with implications for how we do small groups how we do households and integrate the two, how men's ministries and women's ministries figure into adult discipleship, guidance for staffing in the whole question of how do you move a people from being baby Christians to being mature disciples of Jesus and leaders all of that paper coming into being at this time, not by anybody's design, because that got started a year ago, and simultaneous, side by side, remarkably in tandem with the Antioch moment when organizationally, Tom Lutz, as you may remember, I said was being asked by the elders to address the structural organizational issues of clarifying staff accountability and chains of command and roles on the staff simultaneously with the emergence of clarification philosophically about adult ministries and discipleship. There is emerging clarification on structural things for how to Position ourselves and structure ourselves and that these would emerge together is a most remarkable thing that nobody planned except God. We may have felt over the last year banging our heads against the table with regard to the discipleship vision paper that it may never come into being. We never get consensus around this thing and God had his timing. He knew what he was doing. He knew when it needed to be done and how it'd relate to all the other things that are coming about. And I thank God for Tom Lutz and the untold hours he's poured into talking with dozens of people. And we await eagerly his report to the elders. And if it's remarkable that a major philosophical clarification on adult discipleship, and a major organizational clarification with regard to staffing and staff responsibilities should be emerging together, it is additionally remarkable that these things are happening while a relational clarification is also emerging because, as you recall, in the Antioch moment sermon, I said that we were inviting Paul Tripp into this equation, and he's been here twice since then to help us clarify the nature and dynamics of our relational issues on the staff. And what could be more amazing, at least to me, as I think of ourselves in this Antioch moment, that clarification philosophically and clarification organizationally and clarification relationally should all be coming to a remarkable climax here at the end of the year. And if those aren't enough, Philosophical and organizational and relational breakthroughs. Add to that the unrelenting geographical clarification of the South Campus. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, Klaus Van Zee and John Hendricks will meet with the bankers in Lakeville to negotiate the price that we're asking you to give a million dollars to We hope that would be the ultimate outlay. It'll cost more than that to get it, and then hopefully we can sell some of it off. But more or less that. And that's happening tomorrow at 10 o'clock. I mentioned it so you can pray about it. Isn't that an interesting timing for such a bank visit tomorrow morning? So, no matter how stuck or bound or tentative you may feel about the Antioch moment. God is anything but bound. God is anything but waiting. He's anything but stuck. There never has been a moment in the history of the universe when God has been stuck. We're the only ones who get stuck, and it only looks that way. He has his reason for every delay and every detour. He knows what he's doing in these days. So, philosophical clarification on discipleship, organizational clarification on structure, relational clarification on staff dynamics, geographical clarification for our South Campus, and transitional clarification emerging just recently in a very important elder meeting with regard to handing off the leadership of the pulpit over the next several years. You'll hear more about all these things in due time. And in the midst of that upper-level clarification, call that upper-level, God is not the least bound on the ground, either, where people walk around, get their feet dirty every day he is carrying on with the Good News Festival and Clinic reaching out to the neighborhoods. He's carrying on with the revitalization of prayer ministry among our college and sim students. He's carrying on with the bursting nurture program for global missions and the church planting dreams of Mike Bartlett in Grand Rapids and Brett Lewis in Woodbury and Eric Hyatt somewhere here in the Twin Cities over the next year, and the growing Hispanic ministries and Somali outreach and Russian language translation right now as I speak, and the full-blown college and seminary program that is ministering to and being ministered to by all of, of you, and $10 million being given to Treasuring Christ together over the last seven years without any major funding project at all. All of that while we've been building in the last several months the nitty-gritty $9 million-plus 2012 budget with its expansion of, of staff and dreams and the goal tonight to raise a million dollars to purchase that campus. It is breathtaking. It really is. And confirms to me once again that no matter how bound or stuck or tentative I may feel at any given juncture in the Antioch moment, or you may feel at any point in your life, the Word of God is not bound. God is never not working for us. Ever. Why? Is God never stuck? Why is He never bound? Why is He never trapped or imprisoned like Paul was or like we feel so often we are? And the answer we know at Bethlehem God is sovereign and His purposes are always bigger and stronger than any of our ability or any of our availability. God's purposes are always bigger. His purposes are always stronger than your ability or your availability. You can be in prison, he'll get it done. You can have zero ability, he'll get it done. This is why it's a glorious thing to be a church. We have a sovereign head. 25 years ago, very near here, Bethlehem was engaged let's call it uh, bound up in and log jammed in for seven months, a merger discussion with First Baptist Church. So just, where are we now? That way, just a few blocks, I think. Um, Seven months from April to November, it lasted. And we wanted it to happen. We really wanted it to happen. It seemed like a merger made in heaven. We had the people, they had the building, and it just sat there so empty, and we were busting. It seemed so good and so right. So many late-night meetings. So much effort poured into this, and we saw it unraveling in our hands in spite of all our prayers and all our desires. And it ended. And the meeting where it ended, I've never seen more men cry at a meeting. They cried. We cried. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. You are crazier at 1 o'clock in the morning, especially if you've had about three 1 o'clock mornings. And we looked at one another and said, what were those seven months about? Where did that all go? God wasn't bound. God wasn't stuck. God wasn't frustrated. I'll just give you one example. September 21, 1986, that was near the end of the process. We were still working hard on it. We met as churches. We only did this once. Had a combined service of all the people of Bethlehem, all the people of First Baptist Church. And I preached from Isaiah 43 10 and what God gave me in the preparation for that and in the heralding of that message was worth all seven months to me. I never had in preparatory moments or delivery moments a more lucid grasp of why Bethlehem exists than I did that night at First Baptist Church as I Preached this text. So I'm going to read you this text, tell you the point I made, and then close. Because it is still massively and gloriously true and simply illustrates the point that no matter how bound you feel, no matter how frustrating the Antioch moment may feel, God is never not working for us. This is Isaiah forty-three, ten to twelve. The prophet these are glorious chapters, you know. There is no higher peak of the Bible than Isaiah. It's just high as it gets. It's higher than Romans. He's just always soaring up there, especially chapters 40 to 48 or so. And he's right in the midst of that. And here he's addressing his people, calling them the servant, his servants. And that means you and me in Jesus Christ. We're his servants. So this is us when he says this. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. It begins, you are my witnesses. It ends, you are my witnesses. On what basis are we witnesses of the living and only true God? I chose you. I chose you that you might know me. You didn't come to know God on your own. God chose you to know him. I chose you that you might believe me. You didn't come to faith on your own. God chose you to believe in Him. God chose you that you might understand Him. You haven't grown in the knowledge and grace of God on your own. God gives understanding. That's the basis of our testimony. And I remember at a point in the sermon, I could picture the way that, the balcony was bigger than the lower floor in first baptist i mean i haven't been there for years i assume it still is <coughs> i looked toward the the city and all those skyscrapers just you know that far away and i said they're all his i better be careful <laughs> they're all his he lays claim to every human being out there He lays claim to every business, every industry, every institution in this city belongs to Jesus. How many of them know that? Very few. You know it. He chose you to know it. How are they going to know it? You are his witnesses. Isaiah 43.10. That's who we are. We exist to make Him known. We exist to make Him great among the nations and in this city. That's why we've been downtown for 140 years. That's why we bought and built out the north. A stealth bomber campus. I tell people the building looks like a stealth bomber, with no sign yet. And that's why, five years ago, we sent a valiant band to Burnsville High School, and have every intention of providing their own solid, stable, durable garrison in the southern suburbs for being the worshiping witnesses of the God of Isaiah 43. So, may God grant you to pray earnestly and give sacrificially and joyfully. God doesn't want any other kind. And witness boldly. May the Lord keep us faithful for another 140 years. He is not bound. His word is not bound. Know this for your own personal life. Just know it right now. Because right now, there's not a person in this room who's not stuck in something. You're stuck financially, you're stuck in your health, or you're stuck in your marriage, or you're stuck in your vocation, or you're stuck in your spiritual growth. There's not a person in this room who doesn't feel in some sense, this is a a moment when I'm not making any progress, and everything seems futile that I try. That is never the case with the Christian. God is always doing more than you know, a thousand times more than you know. One of the great blessings of getting old is that you start to see the patterns, and you can recognize them and not be so panicky as you were in your early years. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take an offering. And um, anything in this offering is going to help pay for the South Campus. So if you have your envelope or not, it doesn't really matter. You can throw in what you have. If you didn't come prepared to make the kind of sacrifices you want, we'll take it later. I went online to see, yes, you can do electronically with TCTs. Go to the website and do it electronically, transfer it from your funds or do it with a Visa or whatever. So, I don't know if we do Visa or not anymore. Yeah, I think we do. But anyway, uh, it's not great because they take 3% right off the top. So your tithe becomes 7% just like that. So I'm going to pray and uh, we'll sing and celebrate God's... Goodness, it, it would be a miracle. I'll tell you what, I've been praying all afternoon about this, and here's something came to my mind. You try this on, see if you think this is of God. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that the north campus give a, a fourth of this. I'm praying that the downtown campus give a fourth of this. And I'm praying that the south campus, small as they are, give a fourth of this. And I'm praying that the staff and elders give a fourth of this. And I base all that on levels of commitment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you own everything. And you are not bound. You put it in the hearts of your people to give or not to give. This is your doing, and therefore we're not anxious. We trust you. I want to thank you, just personally out loud, for the untold blessings of being at this church for 31 years and raising my family here. I couldn't imagine a better place to be and would like to finish my days as a member and participant of this church. I want to thank you for 140 years and the shoulders we stand on that we've heard names tonight. I want to thank you for the missionaries who are out from us who would love to be here and how they serve you faithfully. I thank you for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that make every dimension of ministry here work. I thank you for the the representative musicians behind me. I thank you for men's ministries and women's ministries and children's ministries. I thank you for married people and single people. I thank you for counseling that's done and all kinds of small groups. I thank you for evangelism and outreach that goes on here day in and day out. Lord, you've been kind to us as a church. Get gratitude from our hearts. What shall I render? to the Lord for all his benefits to me, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So I I call upon you now, Lord, pour out a spirit, a million-dollar generous spirit upon these and others who aren't here so that we tomorrow can close at the best possible price for this land. Buy it, and build on it as soon as possible for the glory of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.